nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today, today is April the third, April the third, two thousand and seven. Coming Sunday, we've got Easter. Here it comes, folks. Ah, very pagan, pagan holiday. Ah. Easter is when we celebrate the vernal equinox, the spring season, rebirth, regeneration, resurrection. Get up! <laughs> get up! Get moving! I first learned the meaning, the significance of Easter.、Uh, when I was a little girl, they gave me new clothes, especially hats, hats with flowers. Easter bonnets—they called them—and the Easter parade. Yes, I wonder what Rudy Giuliani is wearing this year. Ah, thank the goddess Hillary has finally thrown away all those black pantsuits. She says she wore out uh, uh, a dozen pantsuits when she ran for the Senate. But uh, uh, last time I saw her, she was in a kind of、um, what we used to call Mexican pink.、Mm-hmm, anywho. New clothes are symbolic.、Uh, they represent renewal, off with the old, on with the new. The ancient meaning of Easter is a little, little closer to the bone, a little more essential. That is、uh, the stuff about death and rebirth, the cycle of the seasons.、Uh, it gave us religions, the seasons of the earth, the eternal resurrection. Cycles, yes, Gertrude Stein said it. Circles, circles, circles. She went in circles. She said, and once upon a time, I met myself and ran. <laughs> That's what happens when you go in circles. Human beings have celebrated spring ever since they noticed it. I date it from the time when.、Um, We or they, I guess Neanderthals, began to bury the dead. Uh, they uh, used some red ochre and flowers, and、uh, they gave the dead、um, artifacts to comfort them in the afterlife.、Uh, Egypt was the one that really took this all the way. Yes, everything leads us to Egypt. Anyway, the birth of consciousness. Fascinates me, and of course, there's a million opinions about this amazing development that marks our, let's call it evolution,、um, our growth into what I guess 
place we call Thinking Creatures. I was reading Margaret Mead last night, her letters. She said she went into anthropology because she wanted to think. She said she could have gone into any discipline. She just wanted to think. And anthropology, she said, was one of the easiest, quickest ways to do that. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't like to call it wisdom, what we have that the animals, the other animals do not have. Mark Twain has a lot of funny stuff about, uh, man and the animals. Yes, man being the only animal that blushes or needs to, because of course man is aware. He can be embarrassed. Um, my cat, I think, can be embarrassed, but it's a little different. Uh, I'm not sure that being self-conscious is a wise adaptation. The human being is gifted uh, with, what is it, itself, the thought of itself. Uh, we see ourselves in the mirror. We, we are awake to our own death. You know, damn that apple. Awareness. The tree of knowledge has many fruits. Some are quite sour. Some are absolutely inedible. But it is ours. It's what we've got. I mean, let's face it, an antelope is better looking. Uh, certainly, there are qualities the other animals have that are far above ours. But what we have is language. And special qualities, I think we call them magic. Uh, magic evolved into religion and the arts, you know, song and dance. From the beginning, we've had music, drums. It's, what is it? It's imagination. We can think of something, you know, that isn't there, and we can picture it in our minds. That's what words do. They let us see without pictures. We can do conscious dreaming and, you know, those incantations that early man used, those rituals. Uh, and then we started naming things. We named um, the feelings and the emotions. Well, we talked about God a lot, yes. There were so many gods, uh, so many gods and goddesses. And, of course, then we began to argue. <laughs> We're still doing that, arguing over the name of God. Uh, and was it Gandhi said? He said, uh, the truth is God. Uh, oh, I know what Gandhi said that was best. He said, God has no religion. God is predates religion, which, of course, is uh, that's organized. It's orthodox. Religion is a practice. In the beginning, of course, was the story, the legend, the myth uh, that gave us the religion's uh, narratives. Yes, the myth of man uh, collectivizes our thought, uh, the metaphors. I never met a metaphor I didn't like. <laughs> anyway, when I was growing up, they told us that liberal education was going to teach me how to understand metaphors, uh, sorting out of my symbols. I remember once, um, it was that I was teaching some class, I think I was substituting, and it was a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay, where she wrote, uh, 
wine from these grapes I shall be treading morning, noon, and night. Stained with these grapes, I shall lie down to die, that sort of thing. And uh, I realized that the students were not uh, familiar with metaphor. (laughs) They thought we were talking about a drunk. Anyway, uh, literalists are a problem, and they're getting to be more and more of a problem. Uh, You know, uh, they say that some of the early religious thinkers or religious practitioners decided that it was a good idea for the masses to believe in literal stories, that is, to uh, be fundamentalists, you know, like the folks today who take the Bible for reality. Uh, I don't think it's true. I think that the ancients were much more sophisticated than we give them credit for. Certainly, they were as sophisticated as we are now, uh, I think, what is it, yes, if you consult the Eastern religions, if you look at Buddha, uh, Egypt, India, Hindus, uh, you'll find it all very sensible, very sane. Uh, They understood that they were uh, saying one thing and meaning another, that it was a story, that it was uh, a teaching tool, as we used to say. On the other hand... Most people do not like their religions dismissed as fairy tales. They think that that's demeaning. Uh, I think it's the opposite. I think that the metaphor, the image, the dream, the story is far more powerful than reality. Uh, Gosh, yes, uh, the historical Christ is maybe interesting if you like that sort of thing, but I'm interested in what they call Christ consciousness, that is the spirit within In preparation for Easter, I got out the Gnostic Gospels by Elaine Pagels. Her last name is P-A-G-E-L-S. And she has a little book called the Gnostic Gospels, which the first time I read it, I just jumped for joy. Uh, (laughs) Yes, She, she explains the world of early Christianity. I always thought there was more to it than they told us, right? She seems to feel that it was in the 3rd or 4th century that Christianity became the uh, awful orthodox institution that we know today. Anyway, uh, by the 3rd or 4th century, they'd got rid of all of the, um, let's call it the feminist uh, context, the pagan, the pagan tales, of course. It's all still there. Everything is still there. Layers and layers of things. But um, the, what do you call it? Um, what do you call them? The pillars of society, the church fathers, had pretty well burned the books and wiped things out by the 3rd and 4th century. Uh, they certainly got rid of the feminine. And Elaine Pagels in the Gnostic Gospels goes on to tell us all about uh, the femininity of early Christianity. Uh, Yes, description of the Divine Mother. She is the image of the invisible, virginal, perfect spirit. She became the mother of everything, for she existed before them all. She was the mother-father. Think of a poem by Swinburne called Hertha about a Germanic earth goddess. Yes, it ends with the line, Before God was, I am a... 
I love all this stuff. Um, let's see. Human life began with woman. Grant paradise to be the womb. For scripture teaches us that this is a true assumption when it says, I am he that formed thee in thy mother's womb. Moses, using allegory, had declared paradise to be the womb. Eden was the placenta and so forth. Yes, the the waters. I remember when I finally figured out that holy water was the waters that break before birth. Uh, that upset a lot of people because most of the women of my generation were raised to be a little bit revolted by all of the biological processes um, having to do with birth. My mother used to just laugh and quote George Santayana, the philosopher. He's the one who said, there is no God, and Mary is his mother. <coughs> the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Sylvia Plath used to say, uh, is feminine. Uh, Sylvia didn't like being the the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, because uh, the Holy Spirit was never clearly the mother. Uh, anyway, the Gnostics understood a harmonious dynamic relationship of opposites. Uh, Elaine Pagel says that it's a concept that may be akin to the Eastern view of yin and yang. Uh, it's alien to Orthodox Judaism and Christianity. Ah, the Holy Spirit. John is grieving. He says that the heavens were opened and the whole creation uh, which is under heaven shone. The world trembled and I was afraid I saw in the light a likeness with multiple forms. The likeness had three forms. Uh, I am the one who is with you always. I am the mother. I am the son. Anyway, the Gnostic description of God is that of father, mother, and son. Makes sense to me, uh, the female, yes. They go on to talk about the power of silence. These are Gnostic writings. The power of silence. From the power of silence appeared a great power, the mind of the universe, which manages all things, and is a male, and the other is a great intelligence. A female which produces all things. I remember a dear old college professor I had who would take these um, medieval icons in which you saw the man, uh, or rows of men seated, and behind them was the woman, the muse sort of thing. Uh, Sophia, of course, the wisdom of God. Uh, he said it was the mind of God. Um, now, Elaine Pagels goes on to talk a great deal about um, translations and words, and all of this can be argued over till hell freezes over. Uh, Greek words for mind and intelligence. Um, oh, it's such a problem. You know, in English we have these um, non-gendered nouns, but almost all other languages do have gendered nouns. Anyway, a Gnostic teacher explains that there is in everyone a divine power existing in a latent condition. 
This is one power divided above and below, generating itself, making itself grow, seeking itself, finding itself, being the mother of itself, father of itself, sister of itself, spouse of itself, daughter of itself, son of itself, mother, father, unity, being a source of the entire circle of existence. <laughs> I think of Entosaki Shange's wonderful play at the end of which she says, I uh, looked for God and I found God in myself and I loved her. Uh, interesting concept. Uh, what Elaine Pagels tells us in the Gnostic Gospels is that Christ consciousness is the search within the search for the spirit within that all, all men and women, all human beings have Christ consciousness or a spiritual, um, let's call it a soul. It's um, something that is inside us, not outside of us. That outside stuff, that that came with the church. Um, Let's see, she goes on to talk more about the texts and how they characterize the Divine Mother. Uh, she sketches three primary characteristics. In the first place, several Gnostic groups describe the Divine Mother as part of an original couple. Valentinus, the teacher and poet, begins with the premise that God is essentially indescribable. But he suggests that the divine can be imagined as a dyad, D-Y-A-D, consisting in one part of the ineffable, the depth, the primal father, and in the other of grace, silence, the womb, and the mother of all. He reasons that silence is the appropriate complement of the father, designating the former as feminine, the latter is masculine because of the grammatical gender of the Greek words. And he goes on to describe how silence receives, as in a womb, the seed of the ineffable source. And this she brings uh, forth, and within it are all the emanations of divine being, ranged in harmonious pairs of masculine and feminine energies, or as an old pal of mine used to say, yes, <laughs> it is the masculine seed which sets things going, the spark that ignites um, the old earth and gets her off her posterior, he used another word, yes. The followers of this guy, Valentinus, prayed, to the mother for protection, they prayed to her as a mystical and eternal silence. Ah, Marcus the magician invokes her as grace. In Greek, that's the feminine term charis. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. It's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. Uh, the magician says, May she who is before all things, the incomprehensible and indescribable grace, fill you within and increase in you her own knowledge. Oh, gee, I wish I had time to tell you all about the, the gospel here that comes straight from the snake. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. Christianity, of course. I'll put it differently. Uh, 
they uh, they used the Greek neuter term. It was sexless. Uh, they used the term pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, for spirit. Uh, whoever investigates the early history of Christianity, a field called patristics, P-A-T-R-I-S-T-I-C-S, patristics, that is the study of the fathers of the church, will be prepared for a passage that concludes in the Gospel of Thomas. Yes, Simon Peter said to the disciples, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoops! <laughs> the Gospel of Thomas is not um, not my sort of thing. Um, Elaine Pagels writes, strange as it sounds, this simply states what religious rhetoric assumes, that men form the legitimate body of the community while women are allowed to participate only when they assimilate themselves to men. Okay, sexual symbolism and God, she writes a great deal here. I always think of the Gnostics, I don't know why, I, I love the image of the women cooking and making, oh, that last supper, you know, they cooked a great big meal and they had feasts in their homes. But then, of course, as they became more officious and official and the church became a large institution, you know, they were reduced to that little bit of Eucharist, that little um, tasteless little wafer, you know, and the wine. Uh, 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 God the Father and God the Mother. Elaine Pagels writes, Unlike many of his contemporaries among the deities of the ancient Near East, the God of Israel shared his power with no female divinity. Nor was he the divine husband or lover of any. He can scarcely be characterized in any but masculine epithets. King, Lord, Master, Judge, and Father. Yes, that's the king thing. Indeed, the absence of feminine symbolism for God marks Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And it's in striking contrast to the world's other religious traditions whether in Egypt, Babylonia, Greece, Rome, or in Africa, India, and North America, which are bound in feminine symbolism. Okay. Uh, yes, this impression that God is masculine, I grew up with it. Most of us, um, well, most of us still have trouble with all that stuff. I, I kind of like the New Age or pagan impressions, but I find that most people think of them as either a little shallow, a little, what is it, fashionable, or they think of them, um, what is it, as um, simply a feminist protest. Um, I think it goes a lot, a lot deeper, a lot deeper than that. Uh, there's a piece in the current New Yorker about the uh, Catholic Pope, uh, Benedict, 
If you're really interested in this sort of thing, in the politics of monotheism or in Catholic divinity, uh, it's pretty complicated, folks. I, I am one of those people who never dreamed that fundamentalist um, religions would pay, pay, play such a part in our lives. I was sure that by the time I was an old person, they would be, um, what's the word, uh, uh, not just artifacts, but um, that they would have found their place as uh, literary subjects. I remember taking a course once called the Bible as literature. never occurred to me it was anything but, uh, <laughs> yes, poetry. Um, let's see what... Um, uh, Elaine Pagels has to say about that. Uh, she talks about the Gnostics feeling for truth. She says, yes. The Gnostic teacher says, I wish to show you truth herself, for I have brought her down from above so that you may see her without a veil and understand her beauty. Uh, the Gnostic Christians consider themselves mature so that no one can be compared with them in the greatness of their gnosos, that is, their knowledge. Not even if you mention Peter or Paul or any of the other apostles. These Gnostics imagine that they themselves have discovered more than the apostles and that the apostles preached the gospel still under the influence of Jewish opinions and that they themselves are wiser and more intelligent than the apostles. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Anyone who considers himself wiser than the priests, as you know, is going to get in trouble. Uh, of course, religion uh, sets up hierarchy the way all institutions do. <clears throat> you know how it goes. Uh, we have to have rules. We have to have authoritarianism. Uh, Here's another Gnostic. He says that a vision descended upon him in the form of a woman and expounded to him alone its own nature and the origin of things which it had never revealed to anyone, divine or human. <laughs> yes, the Gnostics are to be blamed for describing human feelings and passions and mental tendencies and whatever they recognize themselves as experiencing. Yes, they believe to be the divine word, you see. On this basis, like artists, Gnostics express their own insight by creating new myths, poems, rituals, and dialogues with Christ. I recommend to you that you check out the early Gnostic Christians if you're looking for a pagan interpretation of what we call today our modern Christian religion, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light em up, boys. There's your picture. The shadow out of the 
Hi, I'm Mary Berg, host of The Musical Offering, a program of some of the greatest music ever written, interpreted by superb musicians. You'll hear music of all kinds. There's a lot that's Bach and a lot that's not. Join me and the other listeners Sunday mornings for a celebration in music of the heights and depths of experience. It's a journey that reaches beyond words into realms where only music can take us. Remember that Sunday mornings from 5 a.m., you heard right, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. for a musical offering. Very truly merry. Listening to KPFA Berkeley, KPFB Berkeley, KFCF Fresno, and online KPFA.org. Coming up next, Free Speech Radio News. Turned upside down, can't catch the rain. 